0: Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman, and it's such a pleasure to be joined today by Nicole Perkins. Nicole is a writer from Nashville, Tennessee, who examines the intersections of pop culture, race, sex, gender, and relationships. She's a 2017 Audre Lorde Fellow at the inaugural Jack Jones Literary arts retreat and a 2017 BuzzFeed Emerging Writers Fellow. And her debut essay collection is called Sometimes I Trip on How Happy We Can Be. Nicole, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: (laughs) Your your essays are so joyful and wonderful. And I I greedily want to ask you something because I. (laughs) my my own aspirations are to maybe do something similar which is tell me about writing about the personal through the lens of pop culture and as a way to structure an essay
1: uh so I didn't really want to do I mean obviously it's a memoir so there's going to be a lot of autobiographical stuff but the way my memory is set up, I could not tell you the little bitty things unless they were like super embedded in my brain. And also because um, I really did not enjoy being a child (laughs) Um, uh, and not because there was anything necessarily super traumatic about childhood, but it just, um, I just didn't I think because I had an older sister and I was just always like I want to be older, I want to do older stuff um that I don't really have those I don't know very detailed uh childhood memories and I can't always necessarily um you know talk about like dates. I've never been good at remembering dates and stuff. So I was like, well, how do I remember my life? And I remember my life in pop culture moments. I remember my life in MTV and Skinamax and um, <laughs> music and books and, you know, and stuff like that. And um, part of that is because my mother, we just had a steady diet of pop culture growing up. My mother, um, even though, you know, we we were not very well off at all, um, my mother made sure that we had cable. Like when cable was really popping off in the 80s, she made sure that we had cable Um, she's one of those people who cannot go to sleep without the TV going. So she needed options (laughs) of what to (laughs) of what to watch. And she also made sure that we had magazines, particularly black magazines, in the house. So we had a steady, steady diet of ebony and jet and essence, and then you know, later source, even and vibe, even like you know, those are not necessarily things that my mother would have been reading on her own, but she knew that we needed to see those things. Um, So yeah, my childhood really was more, um, I don't know, centered around those things, film and TV and watching the same movie over and over on cable, because that's what was happening in the 80s, right? That's all we had.
0: (laughs) I keep keep trying to remember what it was that I was watching back then. And it's really hard because there's no there's no record of it. There's no, you just have to kind of remember, oh yeah, this is when uh, Pretty in Pink was on five times a day.
1: (laughs) Yes, right, and like Porky's Revenge that I was watching (laughs) with my sister that I should not have been watching at all, and like, I think a few years ago I tried to watch one of those Porky movies, and I was like, oh my god, this was horrible. Why did anybody film this?
0: (laughs) And then we were watching as little girls being like, oh, this is what Adulthood is, like, or yeah. this, what adulthood is like yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, even Revenge of the Nerds, and that used to oh. be like my favorite favorite film series, and I was just like, oh no, this is this is awful. This is not consensual. This is terrible. Uh, yeah, so it's it's not great going back watching some of the stuff uh, from my childhood that I loved, but. Um, you know, that was definitely a part of this process. Obviously, I didn't go back and, like, watch everything, but, um, but I that's what I would do, uh, listen to a lot of music to try to remember those moments, looking up what was playing at that time, what was the music of the time, and going back and listening to that and trying to place myself. So uh, that was a very long-winded answer of saying, I have a terrible memory, but I remember things through... <laughs> Where what I was watching at that time, or what I was listening to at that time, or, you know, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, and then going back to things, y- you, you have an essay about being stalked, basically, um, and you yeah. casually mention some of the things that we take for granted now that everyone knows are problematic, but we didn't know at the time. Say anything, Erkel on Family Matters, like he, he's supposed to be this lovable nerd and yet he was was really fucked up.
1: Yeah, he um, would not take no for an answer and that's not cute.
0: <laughs> really not cute and like to, to to go back and see that we were taught, oh and something about Mary of course is the third one. Yeah. Yeah, this was
1: unacceptable behavior that we were taught was fun. And right, romantic. yeah, and it's like, it's been interesting because, and I don't really talk too much about the romance novels in this memoir because I had, um, I talk about them a lot already, and I had written uh, a Kindle single about, um, uh, ro- you know, it was called Romance Novels Ruined Me, and just talking about the of <laughs> romance novels, but I've been reading romance novels for a very long time, um, and I, I realized it was like, it's been like 35 years or something like that, um, and It's been interesting to watch the progression, you know, where um, the romance novels, the heroines had to kind of, mm, I'm gonna say be coerced into um, these relationships for whatever reason. And then to watch them kind of gain more of their agency over the years as people have stepped back and been like, no, she should not have been forced into this relationship. This is not good. You can't force someone to love you you know, under these kinds of circumstances. Um, So that's been really interesting to watch. Even on the show uh, now, Brooklyn Nine-Nine with Charles and his love for Rosa at the very beginning, it was getting really close to that line of take no for an answer, dude. Like she's not interested in you, but I think Brooklyn Nine-Nine did a really good job of turning it because he did, you know, he immediately, like not immediately, but at some point within that first season, he does, you know, It's like, he does realize, I'm pushing it, this is inappropriate, I'll just, we'll just work together, I'll always have feelings for you, but I am respecting that you're telling me no, and that you're, you know, whatever. So I think, I mean, obviously they did it more eloquently than what I just explained, but I think we are finally getting to this point where we realize, you know, stalking and showing up at somebody's door is not the way that they're going to fall in love with you, Um, and you know, as, as, yeah. So I think that that in the chapter, the guy that stalked me, um, I think that he was also going off of those old school examples of, you just have to keep telling her, you just have to keep telling her, you have to keep showing up and, and telling her that she, that, you know, her better than she does. And, you know, that wasn't the case because it was something that he told me. He was like, I know you said you didn't want, a boyfriend but I think you're just scared no I know what I want I was 40 years old I I know exactly what I want the kind of relationship I want this is not it um he just didn't hear that he heard I have to try harder he heard I have to persuade her I have to change her mind and that that is not how this works <laughs>
0: There are not enough flowers you can buy to make a woman change her mind.
1: Exactly. You almost ruined flowers for you, roses. Yes, yes. And I was so upset by that because. Uh, You know, I don't really know too much about flowers and I know that people like look down on you if you say roses are your favorite or whatever and um, you know it's just like oh that's so cheesy and cliche but I love red roses, red is my favorite color I roses are simple and beautiful. Um, I don't see anything wrong with that and I was just upset that he was gonna have to make me like learn about flowers and find something new. (laughs) (laughs) That is not acceptable.
0: tell me in putting this collection together were there any themes that you hadn't considered were kind of a part of your focus that you found um, to be in there more more than you had anticipated
1: I did not realize how much of the book was going to be me breaking family curses generational curses I mean you know that's kind of That is something that I have tried to do, but I did not realize how much it would leak into my writing um, and how, um, you know, I'm still dealing with a lot of the stuff, the fallout from my father's uh, abuse of my mother and the way that his addictions and um, stuff like that, like, affected uh, or continue to affect me. Um, You know, I thought that I had... Basically work through all of that, um but it was still showing up, and so when I went you know when I finished and I was going through you know doing my read through and making sure that I had said what I wanted to say or you know going through the edits and stuff, I was just like oh yeah this is this is something that I was trying to break free of uh from my family um so that was a little surprising um and even like with something like the, um, the Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy chapter, you know, when I'm like admitting that I still have, like there are moments where I just feel, I don't know. I just feel really uh, <laughs> like I'm not a great, like I'm, I'm not a good partner in those like breakup moments and, and stuff and I get really like needy and clingy and uh, I want to, I don't know, force myself back into somebody's life and I was just like I don't want to feel this way I don't want to feel like my father um so that was a little surprising when I wrote that chapter and ended on that note um but that was the main thing like realizing how much so much of my life and so many of my decisions were about breaking uh generational curses and um my mother is a major like you know she raised us and i didn't give her a dedicated chapter or anything like that um but she's still very much threaded into everything and i i I wanted to be careful in acknowledging you know that not not everything in the way that um she raised us was peachy keen and there was no fault of her own but i definitely wanted to be careful not to be like everything is my mother's fault, and I, you know, that kind of stuff, um, so that was, uh, I made a conscious effort, and not because I was distorting the truth, but just because I wanted to make that very clear that she was doing the best that she could, um, and I didn't, uh, one thing that uh, has always started to concern me more is how much of my story is someone else's story and how much of that can I tell and so I was very conscious of that and in trying to show that the way that my mother was raised then trickled down to how she raised us and then how I navigate the world and so I just wanted to like be respectful of that while also acknowledging it and You know, if my mother gets to a point one day where she wants to tell her story in a particular way, maybe she'll come to me and ask me to write it for her. Um, But yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) The world is racing to get back to normal and start meeting up in person again. But after this past year, getting back to feeling normal takes time. As much as I've loved seeing friends and colleagues IRL again, With that excitement comes a good deal of dread. If you're feeling overwhelmed by it all, you're not alone. It's important to find the support you need to face those feelings and move forward. We all talk to our friends when we're experiencing issues, but they don't always offer the advice we need. Getting unbiased feedback and advice from a licensed professional can be refreshing and actually rewarding. More than 50% of Americans struggle with their mental health. We all need help sometimes and asking for support when you need it is actually a sign of strength. Talkspace works around your schedule at your convenience. Send and receive unlimited messages with your dedicated therapist in the app and schedule live video sessions with your licensed therapist from anywhere. Whether you're experiencing depression, anxiety, or other problems, Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform to help you sort through any issue with thousands of licensed therapists available to match with you. Talkspace therapists are experts in dozens of specialties. Start feeling better with a single message. Match with a licensed therapist when you go to Talkspace.com and get $100 off your first month with the promo code MARISREVIEW. That's $100 off when you use code MARISREVIEW at Talkspace.com. Yeah, tell me more about, you get very personal in these essays and, um, you know, from everything from family life to your sex life. Tell me about Um, writing about the people in your life and who gets a pseudonym and who gets um, an edit and who doesn't get an edit and um, all of that drama?
1: Yeah, you know, for a a second, I thought about writing a dating memoir and talking about my dating life and dating and sex life, I guess. Um, And that was because most black women don't get that in and um they don't get that published. What they get is a, a how to find a man and how mm-hmm. to keep a man and how to get married kind of memoir when it comes to dating life. Um, and so it's you know it's far more of an manual or an instruct, you know, an instructional guide or something. But um so the, I had thought about that at first um because by the time I I don't know, uh, as I mentioned in the chapter about the, uh, message board stuff, I was really into blogs and that's what I was writing about. So I've been, I feel like I've been oversharing online for a while. (laughs) Um, but I realized, you know, I just didn't, I didn't want to give all of the men or so many men so much shine, even though that is a very big part of this book in the final product anyway, but I still just kind of wanted to, um, I don't know, I, want, I sex and love is a big part of my life as much as pop culture. So I, I wanted to honor that. Um, but it, I definitely made a conscious choice also to not talk about the, the men that I kind of hint at with like uh, the emotional abusive relationships that I like bring up very quickly and discard. Um, because mostly I wasn't ready to talk about those in details and I just didn't it was very painful like I tried one chapter to write um, um about one particular ex and I just couldn't do it I could not do it so I was like okay I'm gonna talk about these other people um who I'm not gonna say they don't mean as much but their impact was maybe not as cutting um and you know, when I talk about the stalker guy, I wanted that to also be a part of me learning how to explore what I want and me learning how to get to boundaries and saying, you know, establishing myself in Mm -hmm. sexual relationships, even in something that's supposed to be very casual or just kind of, um, um, you know, the, the context of that relationship started off as just like, a kind of a subby BDSM kind of thing. And so that's very, you know, to be a part of that world, you have to um, be very conscious, be very aware and mindful of consent and how, what happens when people break that. Um, So that was important to me um, for those reasons. Like I wanted to talk about, that's the way that I establish boundaries despite the way that I've been brought up with watching those shows and hearing you know um, this kind of stuff like this is just how men are or whatever um, and I, there's a chapter about an affair that I had when I was 25 with the guy who eventually got married to someone else and um, that is a that's a pretty painful story for me to tell but it's still something that affects my current my dating life and and the way that I move through relationships and what I put up with and how I push back on um, the ways that people perceive women in those situations and the ways that we look for love. Um, so yeah, and you
0: do you do such a good job of breaking down the the song choices that that framed. <laughs> Um, the way you saw that relationship, and, and yeah, we, we were really anti-mistresses in
1: the 80s. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, they weren't these evil temptresses, you know, I didn't set out to, in my case, I didn't set out to ruin a happy home, because he, he was doing what he did, um, you know, like, he was very much a part of this, he wasn't some, you know, helpless victims succumbing to my wiles. Um, we, were, <laughs> we were both very much a part of it. And um, yeah, and, you know, there's another chapter where I talk about um, the sexual assault that I did not realize was an assault at the time or that I was trying to ignore mm-hmm. as assault um, just because I did not believe that anybody would take me seriously as a woman who is very sexual, very open about desire and pleasure, I did not think anybody would believe me that somebody took a choice away from me. Um, So I tried to shift it, shift my memory. I tried to get in front of it. I tried to tell the story from a different way. I tried to stay friends with this person, um, again, in order to kind of like fool my own memory, to trick myself. And it wasn't but it did bother me. And it bothered me to the point that I would like, I talked to some very trusted friends. And, you know, as the store as I say in the chapter, it wasn't until I was telling a friend at uh another party that, you know, I was drunk again, just kind of like and it was on my mind. And she was like, No, that was that was rape. That was terrible. And I I think I needed somebody to say what it was. Um, the first person that I had told was a guy. Um, a really good friend and he, he was great, but I think he just did not, he did not have the language. He did not have like the skills to kind of like help me process it. Um, But my friend who did name it for me, um, I I just, I really needed, I needed that. And so um, I chose to tell that story because I think it's, probably a lot more familiar to people than they realize and that maybe they've had a you know similar circumstances and even still like I I'm still uncomfortable with like calling it sexual assault or date rape or anything like that um um but it's it's I hope that somebody reads it and is able to process something for themselves as well at least
0: yeah yeah Nicole I feel like women our age didn't have the language even, I, I feel like the language is still new. Mm-hmm. Um, and so seeing examples is, is still so helpful I think to, or I hope will be helpful to, to lots of women. Yeah. Um, Nicole, tell me about partially dedicating this book To Prince Rogers Nelson.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, the title comes from a Mm -hmm. print song, my favorite print song. And it took me years to figure out what my favorite print song was (laughs) because I am such a big fan. It's been such a major influence in my life. Um, But I wanted to acknowledge that. And um, when I graduated from high school, they gave us, we could, do a a quick thank you in like one sentence or something like that two sentences or something and so I um I thanked chocolate and prince and my family was really <laughs> upset with me you know they're like oh are we just nothing to you like you're gonna name these things that uh you know one's an inanimate object and another is someone who will never know you exist um but like his music really helped me through through childhood through high school um and eventually like through the rest of my adulthood and so i just wanted to i wanted to acknowledge that and honor that and um obviously he's not here anymore so he he can't necessarily (laughs) see the dedication but it's still um it's still important to me that I, I give him his props because he was just uh, and not just like in a music like oh he made good music but I really saw someone who was just like this is how I am and you're gonna have to deal with it you know and even though I didn't necessarily want to look like him I didn't necessarily want to be a musician I didn't necessarily want to uh, follow his path in so many other ways uh, but I, like I say in the essay, I see, I recognize so much of myself, like this um, battling with desire and Christianity and the lessons that I was picking up and learning from church about how a woman should be, how a woman should dress, uh, how a woman should have sex or if she should be having sex, all that kind of stuff, but also realizing that it's okay to be sexual so trying to figure out how to balance like this basic human need versus spirituality um so uh again I I can't necessarily say I followed him because I found you know as he got a little older and more devout he was a little bit hypocritical um or there were there were some a lot of hypocritical hypocritical things that he did um but yeah so he was just kind of I don't know. He gave me permission to be complex and have a lot of different sides to myself. And I, I just wanted to give him praise for that. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think that's so true. And, and I love how you wrote about religion in the essay, A Woman Who Shouts.
1: Oh, yeah. um,
0: the, the idea that even if organized religion is not for you, sometimes God just wants to acknowledge that you know that he knows. Yes, that's exactly it. As an avid reader, I try to do my best to support the public humanities. That's why I hope you'll join me in attending Humanities New York's annual benefit event this year. Join New York Times number one bestselling author George Saunders in conversation with author and professor Imani Perry for Humanities New York's Third Annual History, and the American Imagination Benefit. The live discussion will take place online on October 5th at 7 p.m. Eastern. Purchase your tickets at humanitiesny.org and use code MARISREVIEW for half-off membership tickets. That's humanitiesny.org and code MARISREVIEW. See you there
1: even now I've gotten to the point where I don't go to church with my mom. When I visit, she tries her best. I can't, I just can't do it. And, um, I, I had to realize that that was like a, in the same way that man translated the Bible, man has ruined the church, I think. And in the ways that, you know, the financial mismanagement, the, um, again, the homophobia, the misogyny, all that kind of stuff is about man's interpretation of what, you know, we consider to be the word of God. And, and I just, um, sorry, I was, my cat was doing something. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so it took, I kind of just, it took me in, well into adulthood, well into my thirties before I was just like, okay, this is enough. And I have to figure out my own, my own religious um, process and rituals and like combine a bunch of stuff that works for me. And I just kind of, um, I still believe in God and I'm just like, all this stuff is created by God and I'm just gonna go with it. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. Um,
0: Nicole, I need to ask you about the book cover because the art is just it made me um, forget about the previous context of of a peach. (laughs) Um, In a sexual context, which, you know, call me by your name is-
1: Yes. Uh, So my good friend, Cynthia, who is in the book under a a different name, um, but something she's always talking about is like having a juicy life. And um, peaches are my favorite fruit and I'm Southern so I definitely wanted to give um, a shout out to Georgia peaches, even though I'm from Tennessee, but um, I wanted to do that. But the cover artist, Adriana Belay, um, her social media is at G's Vanilla, J-E-E-Z Vanilla. I don't know where she got the idea from because I don't think I even mentioned Peach. I don't think I mentioned a Peach in the uh, you know rough drafts. Um, I don't know where she got the nails from. I, I don't know where she got any of that from. I, I mean, I don't know how much research she did. Uh, and even like the heart necklace on the cover, that is a secret. Uh, I like, I barely, I do a quick blip of it when I talk about, I like heart earrings. Um, but I I don't know where she picked all of this up, and so when I saw um, this cover, there were some the there were some other um, possible drafts that I didn't care for um, as much. But when I saw this, I was like, no, this is it, this is it. Um, and so yes, peach, it's a sexy thing now and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. But um, for me, I see it as maybe um the artist she picked up on the fact that I was just trying to have a juicy life and in order to get to the juice of a fruit you got to tear it up a little bit you got to squeeze it you got to bite into it you have to there has to be some sort of little a little bit of violence to the fruit right to get to the juicy stuff and I think that's that is an app metaphor for living a good life is that there there's going to be a little bit of pain to get to the juicy stuff and um you know you get all the juice out and then you have to go to something else you have to find go to another fruit to get more juice so that's how I I see it and um it's really interesting because the mauve on the cover the dress is kind of like a Mm mauvey um pinky purple and again I really it was something cosmic because I have been thinking for a while about um and again, this is a sexual content, but the way that people are like, "Oh, we're all pink on the inside," or they try to like, you know, whatever. And I'm like, well, you know, well, some of us aren't necessarily pink. Some of us are are a little mauve, a little a little brown, you know, um, <laughs> in in that way. And so that really um, that really popped for me. So I'm very grateful that she. I don't know where. Like I said, I don't know where she picked all of that up from because. I don't mention these things in, in the book, not individually um, like that. And uh, yeah, I love it. I love yeah, it so much. Really <laughs> um, and, and
0: yeah, you, in talking about wearing different colors, you talk about um, Janet Jackson, and how she wore black in every video. And it's like, it, I, I here I thought it was going to be this really empowering um, mm-hmm. essay. And yeah, the other context of, of wearing
1: black is that it's quote unquote, slimming. Right, right. So I, and again, it was just a throwaway line. I can't even remember who said it, you know, who like, made this revelation to me but it, once I saw it I started to see it in a lot of other celebrities who were who had you know voluptuous figures um you know that they were being I don't want to say forced to wear black but it probably you know persuaded or whatever um with that same logic that if you wear black it, it'll make you look like you weigh less and um uh, so when I started to wear black I think maybe it was like some teen angsty kind of stuff, but definitely it was. Don't look at me. I'm gonna disappear. I won't be something you're going to be able to see in a crowd um, because I don't know. I and it's something that I still struggle with body image issues. And you know, for a while, I was very skinny to the point that people misread my age, thought that I was always younger than what I was because I was you know small or whatever and i didn't have the hips and ass that black women were supposed to have particularly southern black women were supposed to have uh, for a very long time or at least you know during uh those teenage years when all that stuff seems really really important and then when i went to college and i started to get that shape mostly because i was in college in new orleans and i was eating incredible food (laughs) and I was because I was a college student I was uh if somebody offered me a free meal I would take it um so there was that and then there's that superstitious thing of because you know I had a boyfriend my whole four years of college and we were having sex like rabbits and so people were like oh well that's why you're getting in shape because you're having so much sex I don't know I don't yeah it's some weird little old wives tale that that we have um anyway so I've always just been very aware of people looking at my body and making judgments uh whether it was you're not dressing girly enough you don't look like a girl you don't look like a woman you don't have the shape of a woman um and then when I started to wear dresses and whatever then it was you're wearing you're wearing the wrong type of dress now you're showing too much skin now you look like a whore you know like it was I was just like no one's ever going to like what I wear so don't look at me don't don't look at me so I just wore black and it was a very frustrating time um for my mom because my mom is a very and I mentioned this in the and my mom is a very bright colorful person who jingles and jangles you know <laughs> with with her jewelry a lot um um she is very femme she just doesn't understand why i wouldn't want anybody to look at me you know um that kind of thing and my sister is also very uh feminine she wears a lot of dresses and flowy things and she's always been in very much into makeup and stuff and my sister is a musical theater kid so obviously she is a star um so being in a household with these two women and then just being like, no, don't look at me. I'm going to be in a corner reading a book. Uh, It was was a challenge for sure. Um, And so the Janet Jackson chapter, I wanted to write that because I wanted an avenue to talk about my body and kind of disappearing. And uh, in previous examples online, um, I'd written an essay about my about my body um for the toast but it was more from like um a mental health and um reproductive health kind of angle and so i wanted to look at it a different way and again i had that pop culture memory to anchor it of uh watching janet in her black blazer and her black jeans and even um Gosh, like that first album, uh, well, it wasn't her first album, but Control. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just um, Control was such a key part of, I think my mother's own um, blossoming uh, and and she played it so much. And also it was just a good song. And it was, again, that MTV moment. Um, So all of that kind of combined and had started me thinking about the ways that I wanted to dress and share my body or not share my body and trying to, I think I've gotten away from all black at this point. I, I definitely make, um, you know, focus effort to have more color in my wardrobe, but it's, it's hard for me to find patterns, um, uh, that I like and that I feel comfortable in. Um, so I've been for the, upcoming virtual tour. I've been trying to find bright, colorful patterns. Sure. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that'll always be what I wear, but I've, I've been trying.
0: <laughs> I love that. And um, love this book. Nicole, before we go, um, do you have some books to
1: recommend? for us? I do, I do. Um, I have a book of poems by Destiny O. Birdsong called negotiations um which is about um destiny kind of examines her life she has albinism and examines her life with an autoimmune disease um and basically the negotiations we do with our bodies with the public looking at our bodies with with Uh, the healthcare system in relationships and our families and things like that. It's an incredible collection of poetry that I think everyone should read. And then I'm going to pick up, I'm going to recommend a book that's been out for a little bit now, but Heads of the Colored People, a collection of stories by Nafissa Thompson Spires. It's just so good and so funny in spots and also just really uh, you know we always say powerful but it really is it just kind of some of these stories just kind of punch you in the gut um, so um, those are the two books that I recommend Negotiations by Destiny O. Birdsong and Heads of the Colored People by Nafissa Thompson Spires.
0: Nicole thank you so much this was a pleasure.
1: Thank you I, I'm so glad that I you let me ramble for so long about this stuff. <laughs>